0: This is Graphic Novel TK, your podcast guide to comic book publishing.
1: Hi and welcome to Graphic Novel TK. I'm Gina Gagliano and I'm Allison Wilgus. Today we're talking to Jessica Stockton Bagnulo, the co-owner of Greenlight Bookstore, which she also opened herself. It now has two locations in Brooklyn. Um, we're recording from inside the bookstore itself, so there's going to be lots of exciting bookstore noise effects. <laughs> so it's going to be so great. It's a rich soundscape. <laughs> Jessica, can you tell us a little about who you are, how you got into comics,
2: and more about what you're doing now? Sure. Um, Gina, I feel like I've known you my entire life in comics. Um, but I'm gonna start to feel old because I'm not gonna remember all of it. Um I wasn't always a comics reader. I wasn't really as a kid. I think I had um like the Uncle Scrooge comics, maybe, but that was yeah. probably the extent of it. Um I mean, they're really good. They are actually. I've revisited them. Um, but I started dating a boy who I later married, um, who was a big comics person and started reading them and I, I felt like it was like learning to read all over again. Like reading art and text together was like a totally new thing but I fell in love with it obviously and was working in bookstores already and started to become that person in the bookstore who was the comics person Um, which turned out to be like honestly career helpful because it was at a time when bookstores were sort of starting to figure that out and so I could help to be that voice for advocating for for comics and bookstores. Yeah. So um, I remember I w- getting to know you and then seeing you
1: all over like Shelf awareness publishers weekly, like as kind of the New York go to bookseller person to talk to about what is a comic? Right? Are they in the
2: bookstore? <laughs> I know, and it's so funny because I feel like I I have never been genuinely a comics expert. I'm just a fan. Um, but I was, you know, one of the few fans who sort of like had a position in the bookstore world where I could like make the connection between the different sides. So that was fantastic, and I got to be on panel discussions, and I got to write columns. Yeah, so I got to talk a lot about you know how bookstores and and the the world of comics could kind of fit together and advocate for specific titles. And that was really interesting and fun. And at some point in there, I decided that I was going to go from being a bookseller to being a bookstore owner, which was kind of a crazy thing. Um, but I was like, I either need to, like, change careers or, like, get serious about this one. And I lived in Brooklyn, and I felt like, you know, there was a lot more room for bookstores in Brooklyn. There were a lot more readers in Brooklyn than there were bookstores. So I started working on a business plan. Um I won this business plan competition through the New York, the Brooklyn Public Library, which was like this, you know, very feel good story. I got connected with, um, a community organization in Fort Greene, this neighborhood that was looking to open a bookstore in this neighborhood, um, based on, you know, what they had assessed from what, what was really needed here. Um, I met my business partner, Rebecca, who had like a ton of her own great experience in the publishing world. Um, and we opened Greenlight in the fall of 2009. So it was this amazing kind of fairy tale of how everything came together. like tons and tons of community support um Almost 10 years too, wow. It's 10 years this October. That's we're really starting exciting. to talk about our anniversary. If you have any ideas, I'm going to pick your brain about That's it. But right, it's I gonna be... thought. Okay. Books. <laughs> <laughs> Nuh-uh. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's brilliant. Um, yeah, there, we're, we're planning festivities. It'll be great. And it's really strange yeah. to me that it's been 10 years because I feel like there's so many things we're still figuring out. Oh yeah. no, this does not sound exciting for me. <laughs> it's like
1: 10 years into a new publishing venture. Yeah. It's still still new. Things Uh, to learn. Exactly. I mean, that's always good, but I kind of wish I was over the learning things part and just like doing them competently at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, this year, Rebecca and I decided we're not going to start anything new but so that we can just get good at what we're doing because we've done a lot. We we opened a second bookstore location. We opened a stationery store, which is what's right behind us. Um, and we have like really expanded what we do outside of the store. So offsite sales where we're sort of like s- sending booksellers to sell books all over town, which is a, l- a lot of work to like make that work systematically and make sure that it's profitable, but is a great way to like bring books to people where they are and sort of grow the business outside of the walls of the bookstore. So that's been like a really growing 10 years. And if we're always growing, it means we're still always trying to figure it out. Um, but graphic novels have definitely always been part of Greenlight light. Um, when we opened, Rebecca knew I was a fan. So she's like, we're going to, we're going to make sure we have lots of space for graphic novels in this store. So we made sure we had two big bays, um, which was like a significant amount of floor space. Um, and stock them there. And then later we actually expanded to a secondary section in the kids section, which we can talk about more later. Um The interesting thing is now I actually have a lot less to do with the graphic novel section than I used to because I'm working more in the back office. I'm sort of administering, you know, store owner stuff, but then also running our events program and our marketing. Um So I don't get to spend as much time like, you know, delicately curating the section and, like, hand-selling stuff as much. But the the really nice thing is we now have so many great staff who also are comics readers, and I feel like the book industry has come a long way into sort of, like, really getting their heads around comics that it's like, I don't, it's not such a big lift anymore. It's like kind of a no brainer. I mean, and it's, you know, they're amazing literary graphic novels that come out every year. Um, Superhero novels are still doing well, I get to like geek out with my coworkers about the ones that we're reading. And I don't have to worry that they're not being sold well, because our staff gets them and sells them and our customers are buying them and reading them. So, you know, it's all working.
1: For people who have never been to the store, presumably because they don't live anywhere near here and could not possibly get here, um, that's their only excuse. Can you just give people like is it a, is it like the Strand? Is it is it big? Is it small? Like, what's kind of your curatorial bent?
2: What are what's your Sure. Light store mission. Yeah. Uh, we're definitely not as big as The Strand, but we're not tiny either. Um, uh, this, this store is about 2,000 square feet, a little bit less. Um, and we're a general interest bookstore and also a neighborhood bookstore. And I mean, this is true with variations for both of our store locations. They're both very tied to their specific neighborhoods. But um, Rebecca and I felt like when we founded it, that 2,000 to 3,000 square feet is kind of the sweet spot for a store that's big enough to have a really deep selection, but still feel very human scale. So it's like you're not sort of overwhelmed by this enormous warehouse of books. It's like a place where you could get to know it a little bit. But you can keep stuff on the shelf that maybe isn't going to sell immediately. Yes, that you can have like deeper backlist selection and stuff. So it's not just all frontlist bestsellers or whatever. You can have like more of the interesting stuff. In this neighborhood in Fort Greene, um, there's, there's lots of interesting graphic novels. There's a really strong... Um, audience of families. So there's lots of stuff for kids. Um, there's a strong arts section. Um, a lot of what we do is literary fiction and increasingly nonfiction, especially in the last couple of years. Like nonfiction has been kind of on the rise, I think, for all bookstores, but definitely for us. Um, and that's reflected in our events as well. We do a lot of events at this store. That's kind of what I do, which I love because it's like throwing a little party in the store like every night. So we host fiction and nonfiction authors mostly in conversation. Um, so it's an author talking with an editor or fellow author or someone who's an expert in their field, um, a lot about fiction, but also about like issues related nonfiction. So we do a lot of books, um, on issues of race and social justice. Um, Partly because that's what's important to us and partly because that's who, where our customers are and what matters to them. Um, so it's really important for us to make space for voices that are less heard, queer folks, people of color. So that's always been a priority for us and increasingly so I think in the last couple of years. So, And that's in terms of both title curation and the events that we're hosting. So our our second store in Prospect Leverage Gardens is similar with its own neighborhood variations. Um, that's more of a residential neighborhood, whereas Fort Greene is sort of like uh, a hub, a cultural district. So Fort Greene store is busier. The PLG store, you can have more conversations without getting interrupted. So they both have their their style. Yeah, you are like. What three
0: blocks away from the Whole Foods right now? Like this store, yeah, yeah, and, and an Apple Store, yeah, and then the uh, BAM and everything. So I assume you get a lot of people who are like, oh, I got to BAM two hours early. What am I going to do? Exactly. It's time to go
2: to the bookstore. I mean, ideal. There's also theater for a new audience and Brick, and so yeah, there's lots and lots of cultural destinations. So we're we're good for before and after browsing. Is there like a like
0: a business? what's the word there's a a specific term for this like a local business
2: organization that you're a part of um there i mean there are a number it depends how you want to slice it i mean there's the american booksellers association there's the new atlantic independent booksellers association which is our region and then a lot of the bookstores in brooklyn just get together a lot informally like i'm on an email chain right now with a bunch of people trying to figure out some stuff for independent bookstore day so we tend to be really collegial um formally or informally but then there's also a business improvement district on Fulton, which I'm on the board of, and like we're members of, um, and there's another one on Myrtle Avenue. So there's yeah, all of those different things.
1: So it sounds like you're doing so many things. <laughs> what what is the actual like
2: day to day work of your job? Um, it's different every day, that which is great. Yes, one of the things I have always liked about it. Um, you know, some days today I was on the phone for like three different interviews and also was putting out a bunch of asks to authors for independent bookstore day. And one day I'm writing a press release. And one day I'm having meetings with a new venue partner. And you know, one day, I'm hosting a big event that has like hundreds of people in our store, which doesn't really exactly fit hundreds of people. <laughs> or I'm hosting an event at the King's Theater or at BAM. Um, so there's there's lots of different pieces to it. It's, you know, probably like, three quarters office life and a quarter like out in the world, like doing hosting or meeting or whatever. Um, so yeah, there's lots of different pieces and I, it's not necessarily a typical bookseller job because it's being an owner in at this particular kind of store but i like it and do you also do things like the accounting and managing all the staff (laughs) and i used to but we've gone from seven employees to 40 employees over the course of 10 years so i don't have to do all those things anymore when we started i definitely was paying all of the bills and doing all the scheduling and whatever um now we have a bookkeeper and a scheduling manager i mean who also manages other things and, and you know uh like, and the store managers have much more sort of authority than they used to. Like, we've delegated a lot to them. Um, and we have, you know, an off manager, Ben, who, like, does all of that stuff, which I also used to do, and someone who manages the school partnerships, which I also used to do. <laughs> Rebecca and I talk about we split the atom over and over. Like, we start a project, and then it gets too big for one person, so you have to split it up. And then this piece of it gets too big, and you have to split it up again. So that's how we've grown. So I I feel like I maybe know how to do all of those things, but I don't have to do them all anymore. Are there like s-
0: distinctly bookseller parts of your job that you've made a point of hanging on to? or Because I mean, there's that question of like delegation versus why yeah. am I doing this as opposed to just working at a bank I know. kind of thing. There so, like, def-
2: I definitely have those days where I'm like, I sit at a desk a lot and like, that's not why I got into this. I mean, the holidays are when I get to like be a bookseller again, because it's so busy and like, it's not worth trying to Communicate with publishers very much. And so it's like all hands on deck on the sales floor. And so I get to, you know, talk about my favorite things and help people find the book for their weird uncle or like whatever it is. (laughs) Um, and ring up sales and like, you know, create beautiful merchandising displays and stuff. But I still do a lot of hosting, which is a nice way to be out on the floor and interact with customers and authors and, you know, remember how to work the cash register and stuff too. My partner, Rebecca, does the buying. That was kind of how we, early on, decided we would divide up our ownerly responsibilities. She handles buying and inventory. I handle events and marketing. And now we both have assistants that work for us because there's more and more of it to do. Um, and I sort of, you know, every month as we as I look at the events, I sort of create this spreadsheet of all the books that need to be ordered, and I hand it off to the buying department. It didn't always work that way, but, like, that's where we've gotten to, so... Yeah, and I actually, if you want to put the word out there, my assistant, who I love, is leaving at the end of this month, so I'm interviewing people right now for a new assistant. If anyone's like, all I want to do in life is, like, you know, do events for a bookstore, like, they should email me.
1: Um, So let's talk about events some more, because this podcast is really centered on authors, and we want to show authors what the, the best way to work with bookstores is. So if there is... A graphic novel that you really like, an author you really like. How do you work with them to spotlight, a feature of the graphic novel at your store, both in events and others, or in other spaces? And is
0: this usually you reaching out to them, or like their publicist
2: getting in touch with you, or authors getting in touch with you? Like, how does all of this happen? It definitely happens in all of those ways. <laughs> um, there, there are many variations on how an event can happen. The most common way, probably, is for publishers to pitch us. Um, we. Look at the the event grids in Edelweiss. I don't know if you guys have ever talked about Edelweiss on your podcast before. But. A little
0: bit, but with people who don't use it very much. So please yeah. explain
2: it again. Um Edelweiss is sort of like a a massive interactive database of book titles sorted by publisher. And publishers upload their title information so and it can be used as a buying catalog and that's its primary use it can also be used to sort of like look at sales and compare them to other stores sales there's also a functionality um of that publishers can upload they call event grids they're still called that because they used to be literally like an excel sheet that they would send around and now they're like a very metadata rich list of books of authors who are touring um so i can look through and see you know for fall 2019 here are the authors from penguin random house who are touring and i can you know look and see you know which are the ones that we feel like are a good fit for us and make my requests and then in an ideal world at some point the publicist's for that book comes back to me and says, Hey, we saw that you requested this book. We think this is a great fit. Like, let's make it happen. Um, Sometimes I have to bug them. And we're obviously in a really privileged position being in New York that like we have a lot of access to publishers. So I can usually just find out who that publicist is and like email them directly if it's something that's really important to me. And I'm pretty sure I've done that to you, Gina, before when you worked on that side (laughs) of things. Definitely,
1: (laughs) yes. No, that's great. I mean, I feel like booksellers do that and you like you're like i know you're really excited about yes. this mm-hmm. this is a good sign yeah
2: i mean I, and, and we say we have access but like email works wherever you are yeah. like you know and often like if you have a relationship with a sales rep for a publisher they can help you figure out who the contact is to ask about an event so yes. definitely also do gotten that
1: lots of notes from sales reps
2: being like just so you know green
1: really excited about this so you might want to think about them <laughs>
2: Yeah, so there's a lot of ways that we're communicating with publishers, and the sales reps are one avenue, and Edelweiss is one avenue, and the direct publicists' communications are one avenue. Um, So I was trying to think of some recent examples of um, cool graphic novel events that we've hosted. Um, So one that we did recently was, was Jason Lutz for Berlin, like the big omnibus of berlin which i was like so like geekily excited about um and that was here at last i know after after 20 whatever years it was it's such an incredible epic project um and that one was arranged through the publisher we requested it through the grids they came back to us and said yes we think this this would happen. Like, what do you think, what are you expecting in terms of attendance? Where do you want to have it? Do you have a V to show images like all of the usual questions? And we could be like, yes, 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 we can do this. And we made it happen and we publicized it and people came and that was great. Um, but then I also recently, I'm a, a friend of mine. Um, Evan Narcisse is one of the writers on the black Panther, one of the black Panther spin offs. He and I used to work together at McNally Jackson, like back in the day. Um, so he, emailed me that he was going to be in town and could he do an event for rise of the black panther and i was like yes are you kidding me like black panther is selling like nothing else it's actually the only comic that we sell in single issues um because the demand is there like it most comics it's not do you have worthwhile for like us teeny tiny diamond account we do have a diamond account you- and we do not use it very much we'll use it only like at at urgent need, um, but for that one, it's worthwhile. Although, yeah, I, I should I should look it up. I should have looked it up before you're here. But I think there might be a special arrangement for that one in particular with the publisher, with huh. a with a traditional book publisher, because it's something that is working specifically well in bookstores. I'm sorry, we've totally gone off topic. No, but. it's
0: this is all really
2: interesting. Okay. And then sometimes a local author will reach out like Dean Haspiel is a, oh, yeah. a Brooklyn cartoonist who we've worked with a bunch of times and like he has my email address and he'll just email me and be like, hey, I have a new thing. Like, can I do can I do a thing? And I'm like, well, talk to me about it. Like, can we bring in some other people? How are we going to publicize it? But like, yes, let's make it happen. Um, and I, I tend to be careful with the events that we host because there needs to be some kind of a crossover audience usually like we don't have like a pure comics audience who like subscribes to our newsletter and watches our social media feed we have more of like a literary audience who are interested in some comics so there has to be you know the book that like finds that sweet spot the other category obviously is kids graphic novels which i'm I'm, I miss the days when Gina was at for a second night and we would just like host story time for like every single, every single book that came out. Um, so we have a Saturday story time that's for younger kids and, and comics can work really great for that. And that's a little bit easier to book because we literally just have it every single Saturday and I have to fill those Saturday slots. So I'm just like, yes, yes, let's, let's book all of these. And you have a charming, talented well. cartoonist who lives in Brooklyn. Perfect. And, yes. Yeah. Just bring them where we have a space. It'll be fine. <laughs> So yeah, so there's a bunch of different ways. And then, you know, we work really hard to publicize and make sure that we're getting the word out to like the, the audiences that are interested. Um, I'm I feel like I'm still trying to make inroads into getting the word out about our store and our events to like more hardcore sort of comics audiences. So we have like a couple of media contacts that we work with but it's mostly kind of like a book crossover audience. Um, and then for the events themselves, like we, you know, we have like a big screen that we can pull down so we can like actually show images and like authors can, you know, talk about them or do like a quote unquote reading if like they, they want to sort of, which can work better or worse depending on the author, the the specific book book, and the specific author for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's one of the ways that We can drive sales for that section, and it's really fun. Like, I love coming across books that I'm like, this is going to make for a great event. Um, And we have had some that, like, that didn't really work. Uh, Sometimes it's useful to look back on your failures. I feel like we had an event for Charles Burns, who I love, who's, like, such an amazing comic, but it was, like, early on in the store's life, and there were, like... 20 people here and i was like that's not okay for charles burns <laughs> like he was t- super nice about it but it was early in the store's life and i was like okay so we have to be careful about this and we have to be aware that like you know comics people are not necessarily finding us always so we have to find them or we have to make sure that we have books that are sort of like like pretty well known by a a, a more book oriented audience if That or makes the sense. author really needs to be bringing people. Yes, in. obviously that's a huge thing too. If authors are themselves doing promotion or on social media or whatever, like that matters.
0: So when you're
2: going through the catalog and you're trying to figure out
0: what people you're thinking of because I'd honestly assumed that the majority of the events that you'd run would be publicists hassling you. It sounds like a lot of them are
2: actually coming from your end, which
0: is actually really cool to hear. Yeah. I mean,
2: there's definitely a mix and you know, and I definitely have a whole bunch of event pitches in my inbox that I have not yet responded to. (laughs) Um, But like what makes things stand out to you? So you're talking about like crossover
0: Mm -hmm. appeal. I mean, are there other things where you're like, this is definitely something I want to go for? Yeah.
2: I mean, I feel like for us, we're always looking for representation of people of color um, because that is our neighborhoods in Brooklyn. And we have sort of like made a point of being a space for those voices. So I'm, I'm always looking for that. And I feel like as in, as in book publishing, like comics is still sort of like trying to get there with like better representation. But if there is something really exciting, you know, that's like featuring characters or writers of color, then like I'm, I'm, I'm interested in it already. And, you know, and then other things have to come together. So that's definitely a factor. I mean, there's, there's a degree to which my own fandom comes into play. I'm like, I know this author and I really like that. That's going to be great. Um, or if I have heard my staff talking about it, like, that matters too. Sometimes I'll go and ask like my my comics people like what they think about this or that author or this or that book. So um and yeah, I mean, I, I look at blurbs, absolutely. And I almost never like actually read the content of the blurbs. I'm just looking at who's blurbing it um, <laughs> because it helps me contextualize what kind of a book it is and what kind of an audience it has. Because I, if I know the other authors and they are authors that are working for us, then there's a good chance that this book fits in that constellation and it's going to be something that will work for us too. So... I know there are some
1: other kinds of events that you do with authors. Um, George O'Connor, mm-hmm. you know, is someone that you've worked Yay, with George a lot. George O'Connor, yeah, um, to take to schools specifically. Mm-hmm. So yes. how does how does that work? How do you identify like I want to be working with an author? I want to be taking them to
2: these them to these schools. They seem like a good book for schools. Uh-huh. That's a conversation that happens with the school for the most part. We have a number of school partners that we work with and I'm less involved in this process these days because we have a school partnerships manager. So I'm I'm not even the person who's talking to George or his publicist right now. Um but if you know a, a school event has potential to, uh, for things that we can't do in the store. It's I, it's actually pretty hard for us to do like middle grade events in the store. And I think yeah. you and I have tried have tried some from time yeah. to time and they with mixed success um, because like little kids picture book level, like their parents are bringing them to the events and adults like they're reading our social media and they're coming on their own. But like middle grade and high school, like uh, they're not on our mailing lists and they're not going places with their parents. So we haven't we don't necessarily have a way to reach them very well with our with our marketing for events. But if you take the author to the school where they already are, then a lot of times they're really excited about that. They they want to be where the author is and so you but you just have to go where they are. So um George O'Connor I, I guess has like a, a pretty wide range of ages that he is interesting to. So we have had him at, you know, from pretty young elementary up to like, you know, junior high even maybe. Um you know, you can do one event with an author and see how it goes. And if it's really great, then you're going to book them for more and more. Um And he's definitely someone that we book repeatedly because he does a great presentation. He, like, you know, is, like, fast cartooning, like, talking while he's, like, making scenes. And, like, his research is so fantastic. At, so, like, teachers love him, like, teaching Greek mythology to their students. <laughs> um So he's a combination of sort of, like, a book that's interesting to kids and, you know, has some nonfiction content, which teachers really love and does a great presentation. So that's like a triple threat. And it fits easily into the kind of curriculum that you're learning at that. I mean, I remember learning like doing the mythology unit when I was in like fourth grade or something. So yeah, for sure. Um, There's one school that we, take him to that's um called hellenic charter school <laughs> and they do like greek themed. it's like a french immersion school except it's like greek immersion he's been there like a dozen times i think um it's great but but all schools of him but so nonfiction is great for author visits but not a must um if but there usually needs to be something to talk about that you know is beyond just a good story which i think almost every good graphic novel has um but it also has to be an author who wants to do that. Like, you know, when we do school author visits, there's usually not a guaranteed sale. Um, we hand out order forms to students and they can order the books. Um, and so it's, you know, there, we work with schools of all different demographics and income levels. So some might have more sales and some might have less. But it's it's all part of. You know, the bigger picture of promotion for a book. You know, maybe the kid doesn't buy it at that event, but then they, the next time they see it in a bookstore, they're like, oh my gosh, I met that author. Um, or they read it from the school library and they become a fan or whatever. It's like, you know, a part of it is about building readers more than like having that sale. But not every author can make time in their schedule to do that. So it it's kind of depends on authors who have the willingness and the ability to talk to school-aged kids over and over and over again. And some of them are really good at it and love it, and some don't, and that's fine. Like, there are other ways to get your book out there.
1: Yeah, so you were saying also that you do off-site events mm-hmm. as well.
2: Yeah, and there, we do that in a couple different ways. We have what we call partnered off-site events, which are things that I'm booking with the events and marketing department and then finding a venue for. So we have a couple different venue partners, anywhere from like 300 seats to 3,000 seats, where we'll book an an event and a lot of times there's a ticket required and like the book is included with the ticket and that's great for publishers because it means a hundred percent of the people going to the event are buying the book, which otherwise is never the case. But then we also have, sort of regular off-site events, which I don't really handle that much, which are mostly people coming to us and saying, hey, I'm having a book party or a conference or, you know, an academic reading series and I need book sales there from a New York Times reporting store, which we are. Um, and, then, and then that <laughs> Can becomes... Can you clarify what that means? Oh, a New York Times reporting store? Oh, yeah. So um, we signed up when we opened with the New York times and you have to sort of fill out a certain amount of paperwork and prove that like you are a real retail establishment with, you know, accounts with publishers and stuff like that. I honestly do not remember. It was 10 years ago. Um, so we upload our sales every week to the New York Times reporting website. And so it gets bundled into the very large set of numbers coming from bookstores all over the country that go into making the bestseller lists. And there's the other another list from BookScan that does a similar like, you know, slightly different algorithm or whatever, but we report to both of those.
1: And so if people don't know what BookScan is.
2: Yeah. Uh, I don't can I ta- I don't know if I can explain what BookScan is. I don't know if I'm, I'm the right person to explain it.
1: They're a data aggregator for the book and entertainment, kind of media industry specifically. And with their book scan part, they work with indie bookstores, but then also chains, um, different places that sell books all around the United States.
0: Supposedly telling you how many books you've sold in a week. Yes,
1: at a very specific set of locations. So um, a person with an account can log in and see how many books a specific title has sold oh, that yeah. week. I've never Nathan. seen it from that side. I don't um, have a book scan login.
0: It's, it's the worst thing in the entire world. As an author. is Literally anybody can set up an Amazon author account. Mm-hmm. and be able to both see all of your sales rankings and also see your own book scan numbers, which why would you give Ugh. somebody the ability to see to their own that. book scan numbers every week? That's yeah. excruciating. No, it's yeah. a terrible idea. <laughs> I say as a person Sorry. who definitely goes and looks at it.
1: Um, and uh, <laughs> But publishers can, or other people with accounts can also look at, like, the top 100 books that have sold that week. Um, they can also look at different breakdowns by, like, by Mm -hmm. the subject code so they can look at like what's the best adult nonfiction about planes that has been selling this year as opposed to last year has there been any change in that they can similarly with graphic novels they can look at the kids in ya and adult graphic novel bisacks and look at bestsellers and how it's changed and uh, the category as a whole and what it's sold year over year different
2: that's great. I'm so glad you're explaining that because I have no involvement with that side of Bookscan. Like, literally, we just dump our numbers in yeah. um, and it gives us some extra credibility and clout as, you know, as a reporting store. And but, really, yeah. how do you, is there a website you go to? Um, Bookscan, I think, autom- our point of sale system uploads it automatically every mm-hmm. night um, or every Seems week, rather. Helpful. Every week, which is great. Yeah. New York Times, we have to like go on their website and like run a report from our point of sale and upload it. Um, But we do it weekly, so and that's part of the manager's routine. For the people whose life journey has not taken them through (laughs) retail, can you remind them what a point of sale, what what is that? Right, the point of sale system is like the computer where you ring up the sales. Um, And for us, we have book-specific systems that interface with publishers. So we place orders through our system, and we keep track of the numbers of books we have on hand and the categories where they are. So it's the way that we... Order books, look up where books are in the store, and sell books. That's so crazy. all of and, the data is in our yeah. point of sale system, and keep track of all of that. Yes, and yeah, and look at and do sales reporting and all of that stuff too. So is it like a subscription? Is it software? There's there's that that a bunch work? of different models. There's like there's probably like half a dozen that are used in bookstores. We use a system called Basil. Every system has its pros and cons, and people always love to complain about their own. Um, ours is a, a subscription-based cloud-based model, and we like it because it's great for having multiple store locations. You can have sort of different store modules and transfer in between the two of them. So you can see like we have 10 on hand altogether, but there's seven in this store and three in this store, you know, and then I can like, pull one out of this store and transfer to the store if I need it in that location. So, but there's Anthology and Ibid and Wordstock and like a bunch of other ones that people use and they all have their pros and cons and the booksellers in those stores know how to use them. So if your internet goes out, it's a bad day. It's very bad. <laughs> we have uh, iPads that we use for backup and we're ringing it through Square and then we have to just ring it through the system later. <laughs> yeah. But oh no. yes, that happens.
1: <laughs> okay, so we, we got off off-site sales <laughs> so sometimes
2: you do uh
1: you book events at venues and so uh-huh. sometimes people get in touch with you and say I'm doing a book party
2: yes. or a reading
1: series yeah and-, and
2: those are those are the ones that Ben handles because that in that situation it just becomes a logistics problem and he's really really good at logistics um so it's just sort of like you know how many people are you expecting like what what are your expectations? Can I have the book shipped directly there? you know what t- what's the time frame and like can I get staff there and you know all of all of those things? but we do a lot of those um and
0: presumably because he's been doing this a long time, somebody can give him a bunch of numbers. And he can read the tea leaves of those numbers and be like, based on what you were telling me, you have how many Facebook yeses Uh right? how many maybes are interested?
2: Well, in my experience, 80
0: interested people means 10 people will show up or like whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think he asks more about the capacity of the space. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and what I'm the sure expectations are. it depends on the kind are. of event. Yeah. Exactly. And it depends on the kind of event. I mean, and I'm always doing that too. Like we create Facebook events for everything that we do in the store. And then we have to look at it and yeah, like decipher it like, you know, an old school, like mage reading the entrails or whatever. You're like, what does this really mean? You're like 80 <laughs> interested. I don't know. Yeah. The other night we had something that was like 250 interested and like, and we're like, okay, but not really. Like what? Cause that I, that was like a lot of people who were sort of like I think this author is cool and I support them. I'm not going to be there but yeah. when yeah. I when I was emailing with Ben, I think I ended up giving him like these
0: people have said yes on Facebook. Mm-hmm. These people have emailed me personally to say they're coming. A few people have told me in person that they are coming. Yeah. And then here's these other miscellaneous numbers. Yeah. Hopefully somewhere yeah. in the crossfire, all these numbers I've given you yep. is a useful yeah. subsection of information. And I think what
2: Ben thinks that we need to bring to an event is probably always a little bit less than the author thinks we should bring because like it's he's he's like appropriately cynical after doing lots and lots of these about oh, like yeah. how many books people are actually gonna buy. God, I would
0: so much yeah. rather that then like some booksellers show up at your event with like 60 books and you sell 20 of them you'll be like at
2: another event Mm -hmm. selling 20 books would have been great but now i feel like garbage but that that's like yeah those judgment calls can be exhausting (laughs) but it's good at it and i
0: I know gina wants to move on but i want to take one second here because i think this is something people don't think about so you were talking about reporting sales for the times and it's like so the idea basically is that I, as an author, I can just order books from Macmillan, for instance, mm-hmm. and have them be at my event and just sell them and pocket sure. the money from that. But for instance, when the publisher is looking to see, how many books did this Alison Wilgus sell last year? How are we feeling about her? I could have sold a 100 books myself, mm-hmm. but if I ordered and sold all those books, those aren't, don't those don't reported. count, right? So whereas if you're helping me out and you sold a 100 books on my behalf, When Macmillan goes and checks those numbers, those will show up and be like, oh, hey,
2: that's pretty good, right? right?" So,
0: like, that's the reason to bother doing all this, it seems like a lot of trouble, but there's a reason to do this. Right. Yeah.
2: And there's a reason to have a bookseller there. I mean, we like to think we bring some expertise in sales as well, but, but a lot of it is so that, you know, you make sure that it gets reported. I mean, and sometimes publishers will ask us to come to like, we've sold books at Comic-Con, like at the publisher's booth, like they're there, they can sell their own books, but they aren't reporting. They're not a reporting retail store. And we are. So that's what we can offer because that's how the ecosystem works. (laughs)
1: And they're, they're also not sales professionals like you. So they're like, wouldn't it be so great if someone else came and they had a POS system? Yes. Okay. So we talked a lot about events because events are very cool and important and a great way to feature authors. And that's what I do.
2: So that's what I know about.
1: But clearly there are other ways to feature authors or books in your store, like you mentioned social media, I saw outside, there's a wall of kind of like staff picks, Mm -hmm. featured books, can you talk about, like, all of those things that you do and how an author might obtrude on your consciousness such that you would be like, this book is the
2: one that I want to be putting face out on the shelf? Right. Yeah. And I want to say something useful, but I also want to be fair, because and, and be honest, I mean, because, you know, we get so many books, like, cross our paths like I come in every day to my desk and there's like half a dozen packages full of books that someone wants me to read and I open them all and I look at them and most of them go into what we call galley world which is like an overflowing bookcase of free books that are available for all of the booksellers and sometimes someone something will catch a bookseller's eye and they'll read it and sometimes we'll specifically put something in someone's hand and say this looks like something you would like read this and tell me what you think um but that doesn't happen for everything. And so part, you know, the, the short answer is just like, well, it just has to be really good. (laughs) Like it has to be amazing, but, um, and it can be harder, I think for, for authors, uh, you know, of any genre who don't have representation by like a, a major house and the, you know, all of the effort that's put into that. But, but for us, the ones that, that rise above are the ones that are local. And I think that's probably true in every region, not just in Brooklyn. Um, the indie published authors, like, we're we're probably not going to cu- to carry, like, an indie author from, like, Oregon or, you know, Texas or something because that's not – they're not our neighbors. But if an author comes in and has even, like, a self-published book or a book from a really, really small press and they're like, I live in this neighborhood or, like, you know, I live one neighborhood over and I'm here all the time having coffee, then we're a lot more likely to look at that more closely because that's what gives our store uniqueness is – representing our local scene. So it's not about everyone contacting Greenlight and trying to get their books represented here. It's about them finding who their local bookstore is and connecting with them. I think that makes a lot of difference. Yeah.
1: But I also, for example, saw uh, Sabrina by Nick Trenasso yes. uh-huh. face out in the adult section, and then uh, Hilo by Judd Winnick mm-hmm. and Lumberjanes mm-hmm. by a whole lot of Yay, people who do Lumberjanes. There's so many yeah. people who will uh-huh. have consecutively worked on the book yeah. on the kids section, yes. and I'm not sure that those people are local no, to actually, here. So there's like, but there's but other, other factors other
2: that. Or- yeah, those are for major houses, and a lot of those are things that we are a fan of. Um, Sabrina, I, I feel like, got a ton of media excitement and interest especially towards the end of last year in the literary world like it got you know major reviews in the times and like literary publications so that's kind of like got on everyone's radar um so that's that's the kind of thing that's definitely going to work for us and it's going to continue to be on display. Lumberjanes, like, we've been advocates for since the beginning. Like, I I staff picked Lumberjanes number one, like, years ago. And I'm so glad that it has taken off the way that it has. And, like, now we have the coloring book and we have the novelizations and we have, like, all of this, you know, isn't there, like, a crossover with Gotham Academy or something like that? Like, which I have mixed feelings about. Um, But... But those are amazing. And we're, you know, we're hand selling them. And we know that we have an audience for that, you know, like the parents in Brooklyn are going to love to give lumberjanes to their kids. Um, and I I really liked Hilo. I mean, I, I haven't I actually not totally caught up on Hilo, but I, I like that one. And it, you know, it's when a book is like a little ways along in a series, we can kind of tell whether it's working for us or not. Like if volume one and two have been working, then we'll also feature volume three and four. And a lot of the, the books on display, like that's a decision that happened during the initial buying meeting that was Rebecca, my business partner meeting with the publisher sales rep. So they talked through the list and they decided, like, here are the things that seem like they're going to work for us. So when a book comes in to the office and there are six copies the booksellers know that's a display quantity and that needs to go face out. And so that's a decision that was made in a conversation between the buyer and the publisher like three months ago. Um, and, every book kind of gets its time on display, and then you see how it's working. And if it's not really selling, then it probably goes back down to a shelf. If it is really working, then maybe the display gets bigger. Um, and that's definitely has happened with a lot of kids graphic novels lately. Like it's a category that like has been really working for the last couple of years, and has grown and grown and grown. And like, we're out of display space, we have like graphic novels on tables, and <laughs> you know, face out and on the shelf and everywhere. Um, I like we're talking about like needing to do a revamp of the kids section to sort of like make more space for that category um and there Such are certain a great thing it's to a hear. really good problem <laughs> yeah. to have um yeah and I think it's c- yeah in in particular in the sort of like early reader space like graphic novels are are working so well like my kid is seven she just turned seven and she's read like everything Raina Telgemeier ever thought of <laughs> um and some of them I'm like Content wise, that's really too old for you. Like, it's about high school romance. Like, you have no idea what's going on, but like, she doesn't care. Like, it's like she loves the style and she loves the realism. And yeah, and she will read them over and over and, you know, go on to other graphic novels too. Um, So, again, we got a little bit off topic. Um, So, So yeah, some of the decisions about what to feature are made in the buying meeting. Um, The things that go on the staff picks wall are totally coming from the staff. Like we don't direct those at all. It's just sort of like what they happen to be reading. We actually ask for them to feature backlists. So it's not about like what's new and hot. It's about stuff that you might have forgotten and needs to get rediscovered. And we discount those because we're like, this is something we want you to take a chance on. So we'll take a little bit off of it. Um, And that can, you know, there, there are a couple of like hardcore superhero comics readers in the store. And so like, we'll get like some, some superhero stuff up there. Um, uh, And it's a, it's a big mix. Um, But yeah, that's definitely totally staff driven. So yeah. And, and that happens, you know, on a micro scale every day with what the staff is recommending. Like people come in and they like look at the graphic novel section and they're overwhelmed. They're like, what do you, what do you recommend? And almost anyone in the store can pull out like a couple of things that they can talk about and they can, you know, find what is the right fit for somebody. And there are some people who will like really be like, no, 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 give that one to me. <laughs> like, and I, I really, really want to talk about it. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's happening like on that person to person staff conversation recommendation level as well as happening like way up here at the top when the when the buy happens
0: so So. it sounds like you have an interesting balance here between wanting to maximally feature worthy books of which there are many but also like wanting to have as many things in the store as possible so that it isn't just the top 10 most Mm -hmm. exciting book in a category that you have on like if you you could have everything face out and be beautiful but then you'd have like a tiny fraction of the books in your store sounds like it's sort of an interesting dance that you have to do with yourself
2: yes I mean and that's always the problem you know no matter how much space we have we always have space problems um and yeah so that that's the balance is between like can you do more of a single title or a couple of titles on display, or can you do like a a larger title count? And I think, you know, that, that is, that's another decision that mostly happens in the buying department and with the receiving and returns department. So we also, and maybe this is something you've talked about previously. There's the return cycle in publishing because most books that we buy are returnable. Um, but, and returnability sounds like a bad thing. It sounds like, you know, but you don't have to keep it. Like, what if you send my book back and it gets pulped or whatever? But returnability means that we can take more of a chance on something up front. We can order a lot of it so that we can give it a face out. And then, because we know that if it's not working, we're not stuck with it. So that's kind of what we try to do. We, we buy pretty bullishly on the front list so that everything gets like a moment in the sun and then you sort of start to filter out like what's really working and the stuff that's not working as well like maybe goes down to having a single title a single copy on the shelf and the stuff that is really working gets a bigger display so but we want to give everything a chance uh, to the degree that we can and we can't do it for everything um
0: so so yeah out of curiosity how does that actually work? Is it like returning something that you've bought online? Where they like give you a label you print out and you put it in a box, you send it back. Is it like, do you put together a big chum of different
2: books all from the same publisher? Like literally how does that work? <laughs> that's a good question. And Grace is our receiving manager. They're sitting right over there and that's like their, their realm. Um But a, a lot of times they're the buying department will generate like a returns pull um, like seasonally, a, you know, a couple times a year, there'll be a big one. But it's it's by publisher. And then a bookseller gets handed a list. And it's like, go around and find all of these books. And it'll be like a big HarperCollins poll or a big, you know, Macmillan poll or whatever it is. And then some things we can't find because the reason they haven't sold is because they actually got stolen three months ago or, you know, <laughs> or, or we lost it or we sold it under the wrong ISBN or whatever. Um, so there's like fixing those issues. But then... Grace and their team like pack them up, um, you know, scan them all out, like pull them out of our point of sale system so that it doesn't show that we have them on hand and send them back to the publisher. And then the publisher issues a credit against our account, um, which we can use for buying more books. Um, and that gets handled by the bookkeepers. Um, every once in a while, a publisher will say no to a return, um, for various Mm -hmm. reasons, like you're sending this back to us damaged or, this actually isn't our book, if it's from a different publisher. (laughs) Or um, I can't think of instances where it's happened, but there is like a sort of a statute of limitations. Mm -hmm. I think if it's out of print, you can't really return it anymore. (laughs) You you, you had a box you shoved in a corner and you forgot. (laughs) And sometimes, you know, things will get mixed up. Like we ordered it from a wholesaler and then tried to return it to the publisher. And they'll be like, no, we don't have a record of you buying this book. And different publishers are more or less strict about that.
0: So like, do you do... Like inventory days like I remember mm-hmm. I very briefly worked at a bookstore oh yeah and I, where? Did, I worked at the scholastic store that's oh, wow. in that building oh. like a million zillion years ago yeah. when I was in college. Um, but I was there long enough to, to, to be there on an inventory day, but I remember almost nothing about it anymore. And it was mostly sorting through t-shirts yes. for me personally.
2: Yeah. That's another thing that like I used to be very hands on about and I don't have to anymore, which I'm so grateful for because it's like, it's an overnight for us. Um, and I hate Trying to work when I'm really tired. So, like, what, do you, what, do, now, what does it involve? Um, it involves bringing in a bunch of extra scanners and laptops, and literally, like, scanning the ISBN of every single book in the entire store, and all of the cards, and all of the toys, and you know, and doing it section by section. So, Grace also runs that, and it's like amazing that they pull it off every year. We actually have talked about doing it twice a year because things get off, but um, I don't know if that is actually reasonable. Um, and we we've gotten a better system than we used to. Like, we can sort of start before the end of the day, like with some, you know, an inventory, some things that we can then pull off the floor so that they don't get messed up by customers in the meantime. And, some, and we'll often like close a little bit early so we can just start. And it's just like teams of booksellers and something, but like beep, beep. Beep beep beep! All over the store, and we bring in snacks and you know play music. And no, we don't play music because you have to hear whether it's beeped or not, because you know whether it's scanned. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, it's a big process. And then afterwards, there's the process that Grace handles of like figuring out what the discrepancies are between what you think you have and what you actually have. Yeah. So it's sort of like balancing a checkbook, but yeah. for the entire contents of your store. Yeah, for like many thousands of titles. Oh my god! <laughs> but you have to do it. I mean, otherwise, like your inventory just gets l- like what you see in the The computer gets less and less accurate to what is physically in the store. So it's got to be done.
1: So... Back to social media and e-newsletters. Um, is it the same system that you use for, like, events
2: and staff picks to decide what titles are featuring in those spaces? Um, our newsletter is primarily focused on events because we do so many. So it's, you know, if there's 25, 30 events a month, like, we send out a couple of e-newsletters to sort of make sure that we're, like, featuring everything and that there it's not an overwhelming amount of content at a time. Um other social media channels are we're finding better for sort of like specific title highlights outside of events um instagram is now happening almost totally like outside of my events and marketing department like on the sales floor with booksellers just sort of spontaneously doing whatever they want to do the plg store staff is especially good at it probably because it's a little bit quieter and they have a little bit more time but like they'll make like an interesting tableau of like books and booksellers like someone sort of thoughtfully reading something and someone else being like oh my god gosh um but it's they they have a great time with it there is a video the other day of like we we have a lot of slat wall in that store like that you know so you can hang things on the walls but sometimes they're covering up doors or whatever so they have someone peek a video of someone like emerging from a wall and like taking a book and then disappearing back (laughs) into the wall and it's gotten like hundreds and hundreds of views i don't know why it just like (laughs) appealed to people so um but we do post for like new release Tuesdays and it's like, you know, here's what people are excited about that came out today or like, here's what people are reading. Um, I would like to do more of sort of like featuring our staff picks on social media, but that's why I need a really great assistant to help me with that. Um, So it's a little bit sort of, you know, it's, it's a mix of focusing on the events that we do and then sort of staff directed more spontaneous content.
1: That's really cool. Um, Can you talk about how different genres or age categories, specifically of graphic novels, kind of behave differently from each other or how you think about them differently?
2: Yeah. I mean, it took us a year or so to figure out that we needed to separate kids' graphic novels from, like, the general graphic novel stock. Um, And it was because they're were suddenly so many interesting books that we wanted to pitch to kids, but there's definitely some stuff in the graphic novel sections that's really not kid appropriate, and we didn't want them to be have to have to be digging around trying to find the stuff that was for them and like running across the stuff that was not right. So we, you know, separated things out, um, into the kids graphic novel section, which I, you know, is probably like, you know, up to 12 kind of age wise, but it's everything from like, You know, Moomin and Tintin to like Lumberjanes and Witch Boy and like Raina Telgemeier and all the exciting contemporary stuff. I think in some ways the kids' graphic novels are easier to sell right now. Um, There's just like obviously such a huge and growing audience for them, and they're often sized more like a traditional book, um, which like you could probably talk about from a publishing perspective, but it makes them easier to display alongside of you know traditional text-based books um so you know you can have like a big table that has like a bunch of chapter books middle grade stuff and also has graphic novels kind of mixed in with it um adult graphic novels i, I think rarely sort of come out of their section um which it is funny because I, I there's so many like subgenres within graphic novels and you, there are memoirs and there are there's fantasy and there's horror and there's superheroes which is its own thing that we carry in like very quirky and specific ways um but it's a lot about the trim size like it's hard to put those books on like a regular paperback fiction display table so we often display them with art books graphic novels sort of have their own sort of subsection of our art display so that's like where you know big oversized visual books can be faced out so you sort of have to wander over to that area to like find yourself encountering graphic novels. But I think that's not the worst thing. Like people who are interested in visual and design kind of books may also be like comics audiences too.
1: Well, that all sounds great. So you talked a little before about how you are really into authors who live in the neighborhood. And you're like, I should just come in and be like, I live here, mm-hmm. like in the next neighborhood over. Um Are there more steps do you think that authors should take to kind of get on the radar of their their local bookstore
2: sooner, maybe than my book is coming out? in? Oh, my gosh, yes. What should they do? Yes, thank you for talking about timing. I mean, First of all, if you have a local bookstore, like you should shop there (laughs) and you should talk to the staff there and you should let them know that you're a graphic novelist and you should talk about comics with them so that like you're not just someone coming in trying to pitch them something. You're a neighbor. You're someone that they know. Like that matters, you know? So just being a customer in general is a great thing. But, but yeah, thinking about the timing of how stuff works is great too because I, it's always heartbreaking to me when someone's like, my book just came out. Can we schedule an event? And I'm like, no, I'm sorry, because we're booking for three months from now. And that will be too late for your book. Like, I need to hear from you, like, three or four months in advance of when you're imagining having an event. Um And, you know, maybe there's something else we can do. Maybe if you're doing a party at your house, we can still send a bookseller to sell books there and report to the New York Times. But if you want to do something in the store, like, we like, that's how the cycle works. Like, you have to think at least three or four months in advance. So it's presumably like
1: more time than that, because you have to plan out which store do I, you have to, as the graphic novelist think which store do I want to do this with? What kind of event would it
2: be? What should I be pitching? Mm -hmm. Let me research who I should be getting in touch with there. Yeah. That's just, we want to be hearing from you three or four months in advance, but that means your work has to start even earlier. So maybe like attend some other events that are similar to yours
0: ahead of time. So you can say, I was just at... You event you just head for Berlin I also have an epic work of staggering scale and depth about a uh, mid-century European city and,
1: like how have I missed that I don't know. Um, <laughs> and I bought a copy of Berlin yeah. while I was there so I yeah. should be in your customer right. system yeah. I mean and
2: you know you you do it for research but also like doing that makes you a part of the community and like you will be learning from other artists and authors who are doing what you do. And you'll be talking to people who are interested in the same things you are. Like you don't just do it purely as like, you know, data collection. Like that's how you become part of this world and this scene and this community. And like, that's what matters, especially for independent bookstores.
1: Um, So do you have advice for
2: people who would want to work in a bookstore to open their own bookstore? Um, Yes. If you want to work in a bookstore, you should definitely send in a resume. Um, What we look for is not necessarily like I've read all the books or I've worked in publishing forever. Um, Feel free to say... I really love books, but everyone really loves books (laughs) who wants to work in a bookstore. So like, that's not like a deciding factor necessarily. I know that sounds horrible, but like we've been doing a lot of interviewing lately and it's like you have to get through the like, I'm really passionate about books. It's like, yeah. That's probably why you're here. But we actually love to see people who have different kinds of retail experience, Um, whether or not they've worked in a bookstore before. Like if they've worked in a clothing store or if they've worked in a coffee shop, like those skills are going to be useful to them in working in a bookstore. Like it's an it's a job that's a really interesting combination of sort of literary knowledge and being able to, you know, talk and connect with people about books and just customer service. So you have to be someone who can talk to people for eight hours a day and be on your feet for eight hours a day and it's that's like making it sound bad it's actually incredibly rewarding but like it's it's taxing in ways that i think people don't always think about they think they're just going to be like petting the bookstore cat and having civilized conversations
0: (laughs) which is not all of it and it's interesting like you mentioning for instance like people who work in coffee shops specifically i'm sure there's a little bit of like Retail triage, also mm-hmm. like you are having an emergency, yep. <laughs> or somebody has just vomited in the bathroom. What are Absolutely. you gonna do? But you also yes. have a line out the door, yes. like. <laughs> and, and I feel like yes, or like other kinds of more, maybe like a more high stress. Mm-hmm. Insane people flying yeah. in and out
2: and being mad at you all the time. Yeah. Job. I mean, it, it varies. Like, different bookstores have a yeah. different vibe, but, like, this is a, a pretty high-traffic bookstore. So, like, we do have that where it's, like, you're trying to, like figure something out with your coworker, but like there there's constantly customers there and you can't not help them and you're trying to get this returns pull done but like 17 people need recommendations for kids books and like so you have to be able to multitask and to work well with a team like not be sort of like I will handle this myself but like always be in communication with your coworkers and with your managers so there's a lot a lot of skills involved in addition to you know being a person who reads books so we do actually ask specifically like if people have a comfort level with kids and like some literary people really don't. And then, you know, they probably should find a job in a different part of the industry because that's really that's a big part of what we do. And we're like the the grownups are the customers who are buying the books, but the kids are really the customers, too. Like they're the ones who are, you know, deciding what they like and, you know, figuring out who they are as a reader. And you have to be able to speak to them and not freak out (laughs) is there something about
0: like how your job works or how a bookstore works that you would love for authors or cartoonists to sort of understand or you feel like is frequently misunderstood
2: Mm. um i mean i'm glad we talked about the timing thing because i think that doesn't always occur to people that like you know you have to be putting things in place two or three months in advance to to have it be happening now And I'm glad we talked about, like, just the volume of books that come through. I think I feel, like, cynical about it sometimes because I know for every author, like, their book is an enormous event for them, but it's not an enormous event for me. (laughs) Like, I see hundreds and hundreds of books a day. So, I and it's that doesn't mean, like, you need to, like, have, like, a brass band or whatever when you come in and pitch your book. It just means, like, you need to have a little bit of patience with the booksellers who might be inclined to brush you off because they have so much going on. So that's when the sort of relationship building stuff comes in a little bit. Um so I guess just be patient with us. <laughs> your book is your precious child. But, I, yeah, exactly. And I'm doing my best, but I I don't I I don't love it the way you do yet, you know.
1: <laughs> okay, is there anything else you want to talk about that
2: we missed in our Wide-ranging conversation. This is really fun. I mean, I feel like I always appreciate getting to have these conversations and thinking a little more broadly about what we do and why we do it and how it all fits together. Because it can be easy to sort of just be like, I sit at a desk all day. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, i I was on a panel at the Brooklyn Book Festival about you know, like what should authors do to promote themselves, and I think the thing that I always say is like. It's less about building your platform and more about finding your community. Um, And the more you talk to the kind of people who are interested in the things you want to do or who are doing the kind of work you want to do, like, you will learn from them and you'll become better at what you do and opportunities will open up for you. But also, like, it's just good. It makes your life good as a, as a creator. So an independent bookstore can be sort of a locus for that in a lot of ways. So I hope that people are able to find their place where they can connect with other creators and, you know, sort of become a part of that community.
1: Oh, that's great. Such a nice thing. So for the people listening to this podcast who now want to look you up online, want to look up Greenlight Online, where
2: can they find you? Sure. Our website is greenlightbookstore.com. And you can buy and search lots of books there. And you can also see the events that we have. If you look at the About tab, it has um, policies and FAQs. And that has a lot of information about who to reach out to about different things that we do about events or about, you know, carrying books on consignment or about, you know, selling books off site or whatever it is and, and about hiring as well about how to how to apply. So um, under the About tab, policies and FAQs on com. OK, and social? All of our social tags are greenlight, B-K-L-Y-N. So we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're also on Tumblr, but, like, we're pretty lazy about Tumblr right now. Um, But, yeah, you can find us there.
1: Okay. Well, thanks so much, Jessica. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Graphic Novel TK. Next time, we're going to have a discussion about both bookstores and comic stores with someone who's worked in both places. So that's going to be exciting. Uh, We can't wait to dive even deeper into this book-selling, graphic novel-selling, comic-selling world.
0: Yes, because not one, not two, but three different episodes about being in a store where you can buy comics, because it's actually very complicated. (laughs) Graphic Novel TK is co produced by Gina Gagliano and Allison Wilgus and is brought to you by The Beat. You can find our show notes along with other comics news and podcasts at comicsbeat.com. Our podcast graphics were created by Shivana Sokdeo. Our theme music is by Pottington Bear. You can follow us on Twitter at Graphic Novel TK or email us at graphicnoveltk at gmail.com.
2: That was fantastic, and I got to be on panel discussions and I got to write columns. Yeah. Sorry, should we stop while there's taping? <laughs> it's fine, go for it's it. It's fine, okay. So, for people who
1: have never been to the store because presumably no they live in another town or something like you that, you have to wait for the tape. <laughs> she doesn't have to wait for the tape, you have to wait for the tape.
0: Not to be gross, but you both have a store that runs events for children and also have a bathroom that customers can access.
2: And I feel like those two things must cause all kinds of interesting. It's true. (laughs) I mean, at least they mostly use the bathroom. I feel like there was a period of time where it was like, there was a lot of diaper changing on the sales floor. And we were just like,
0: Do the, on top of the books? I've definitely heard of that happening. Like on the floor, but still. the floor at least is like, at least that's where the feet
2: go. That's terrible. I know. But no, we have a changing table in the bathroom because we're that kind of store and that's something that we need. And yeah. There definitely, you know are various kinds of bathroom emergencies and like having a good sense of humor about that is like pretty helpful. So <laughs> the understanding you may encounter a very mad three-year-old, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like potty emergencies are real. Like you have to like figure something out in that situation, for sure. I feel like this should be one of your interview questions. (laughs) Like, have you ever encountered a potty emergency?
1: (laughs) Actually, here's one right now. Perhaps you can you can test your knowledge out and we can observe you.